Okay, uh, dismiss the children now would be about the right time, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Got to get used to doing that again. And thank you for all that are helping. I appreciate it. a couple of announcements for you. A uh, reminder that we have uh, daily breads for this quarter. They're out on the table there, and there's some on the table on the other side. On the other side of the wall. Uh, on the other side of the wall there. So, uh, we'll... Uh, this just fell off. <laughs> there we go. Um... We do have a new security gate that uh, scissors and closes outside. Uh, it'll be obviously closed when we're not in session, and, and uh, mostly it's there for the, the night because we've had people and complaints in the neighborhood and stuff about people sleeping and uh, staying in the church porch area. So, uh, and police calls, etc. So. Uh, we have that security gate. It's keyed the same as the door locks are keyed. So if you have a key to the door, you also have a key to the gate. Um, however, uh, right now especially, it's just a chain with two with a lock, two chains and two locks. Uh, to, we're working on how to get it a, a slightly different closure on that. But uh, it'd probably be easier to come up the ramp and use this door than to open the gates and try to come through the front door. And in doing so, though, this door doesn't shut well, so uh, be sure the door is shut. Give it a couple of jolts before you leave. Make sure it's locked and it's shut so that uh, we don't have any uh, problems there. Also, in reference to the offering, we have the tray up here on the, the communion table, but we also have, uh, you can mail the offerings in. Our, our mailbox is a lock box. So uh, there's no problem with receiving it that way also. So I think that takes care of any announcements. Um, just double-checking here. Okay, uh, this morning we're continuing on our messages as we go through the Bible uh, in a year. Uh, the message today is coming from the book of Judges. And uh, with, uh, as we begin, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, as we open Your Word, we ask You to open our hearts and our minds through Your Holy Spirit to, to glean from it the things that we need, each one of us, for the walk right where we are right now. And we ask, Lord, that You would touch our hearts, move us, and draw us close together and close to You. In Jesus' name. Book of Judges uh, it covers about 350 years, or plus it might be a little bit more than that, but about 350 years of time uh, between the time of Moses and the time that we get into uh, starting to have kings, and uh, it begins with the death of Joshua, and and uh, it's 
probably one of the more interesting books in many ways uh, because uh, of the people and the stories that are in it. Some that are children, especially if you've been through children's church and Sunday school, have learned uh, maybe stories about Deborah, who was a judge, uh, Gideon, who was one of the judges, or Samson. Uh, and so uh, these are, you know, a number of, of our famous Bible characters, if you will. And so uh, we're going to be taking a look at it, but I'm not going to uh, look at uh, the, character, the, the people as much as I'm going to look at some key thoughts that come from understanding the book of Judges and what was going on. Uh, for many, as you, as you do research, if you do research on the book, uh, one of the key verses for understanding it uh, comes from uh, chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 21, verse 25, the very last verse. And uh, it's, in those days, uh, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, Keep that in mind as, as we get into this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, what we look at, and I would take a look at, is the, the death of Joshua. It starts in chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had all seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the, uh, within the boundaries of his inheritance in uh, Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now, so we've, we've moving in. We've, all the generation that moved in with Joshua have passed. They were faithful to the Lord, and now we're moving into a new generation. And it says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And I, I, I look at this: another generation who did not know the Lord. What happened to Deuteronomy chapter 6? <laughs> uh, you know, we went over that in detail as part of the Shema and, and understanding uh, that says, uh, the, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and, and uh, that you're to write the, the things of God on your doorposts and you're to teach them to your children when you get up and when you go to bed and in the middle of the day and, and all of this. And the idea was to raise up each generation knowing who God was. And how important that was. And all the things that God had done from delivering them from Egypt. And, and the, the history that went with all of that. And yet it says this generation did not know these things. That, and the work that God had done for Israel. And I realized that obviously... The people of this generation and, and possibly even uh, was slipping away from the focus on God. They had their land. They had things going well. And, and uh, it's kind of like 
you know, without the pressure and the uh, and and the, uh, the constant things of enemies and things going on, it was almost like maybe they got a little. Some people say flabby faith. <laughs> Uh, they they got a little lax. Who knows what the situation was? But one of the uh, writers, uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll, put it this way: When the people of God are not told the works of God from the Word of God, they lose the wonder of God. Isn't that an interesting statement? When the people of God are not told the works of God from the Word of God, they lose the wonder of God. And he was saying that that was apparently what was happening here. They, they just weren't being taught thoroughly the Word of God. And they lost the wonder of God and all that He had done. And also, as you read through the book of Judges, you see a, a pattern develop. And it's also quite interesting. A pattern, or, or some people might say a cycle uh, that repeats itself again and 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 again. Uh, you know, multiple times through the book. Israel turns from the Lord, the Word, and worships other gods. That starts to happen. Okay, now again, remember, they have, they don't know the wonders of God. They've, they've moved away from the, the, the understanding of, of Deuteronomy and what Moses taught just before they all went into the, that whole generation has passed away. And this new generation, uh, for whatever reason, is not understanding the wonders of God and, and, and who He is and what He's done. And as a result, they are prone to look around them in this new land and they are uh, seeing the people and other gods. And by the way, you need to understand that they were supposed to uh, run all of the people, especially the Canaanites, out of the land. Well, they didn't. They stopped. They didn't finish the job that they were assigned. And so they started to uh, marry Canaanite women and they give their daughters to Canaanite husbands even. You know, it was, it was just a, a rampant decline. And so... What God would do in the process of this as Israel would turn to the, uh, uh, away from the Lord and the Word of God and turn to the pagan gods and, and, and the pagan ways of doing things, God raises up a foreign power to oppress them, to come against them, basically to get their attention. You've left me and so... I'm stepping back and pulling my covering away from you. And they would become basically subservient to a foreign power. The next step that would happen would be Israel would cry out to God for deliverance. Uh, in chapter 3, 4, and 6, and 10, and twice I think in chapter 3, you see them cry out to God for deliverance as they've been conquered or taken over by foreigners, which God has it allowed. And in the process of that, as they pray for deliverance, God then raises up a deliverer, a judge, in this case. And the people are delivered. And there's rest for a season in the land. 
And then another generation comes along and guess what? We repeat this cycle over again. This same cycle. And I looked at this and I was thinking, you know, this same cycle repeats itself today. Think of our own history as, as a Christian people, and, I, and I'm cautious as to saying a Christian nation at this point, but think of a, 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 as a Christian people. You know, this uh, back in the, in the early uh, 1700s, man had slipped away from the things of God and the Word of God. And then God raised up some men to draw the people back and to preach the Word. And it it was called first revival because it happened in the church. The church was revived. And then it became something even bigger. It became what was known as the first great awakening. And they called it a great awakening because people were drawn from all sorts of walks of life who had not even heard the Word of God. It's hard to believe. But there was a, gener- a, a whole generation of people who, in, our, in our country. After all that had happened to bring Christianity and independent thoughts and, and to have church the way we wanted it and this type of thing, it fell by the wayside in a sense. And the people were amazed there was mighty things that God could do and there was literally tens of thousands of people coming to the Lord during that time. Well, we get away from that generation and by the time we get to the end of the 1700s, there was uh, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court judge, uh, uh, Marshall at the time, uh, was made a comment about he says there's more people in bars on Sunday morning than in church. Another generation had slipped away. All I'm trying to say is that this is a pattern. By the way, there was great prayer meetings. There was revival in the church. And by the, middle, uh, by the early 1800s, there was a second great awakening. And uh, what was amazing was you could be in... Um, Kentucky. Now think of, of, of the early 1800s, 186, 187, 8, 9, 10, right along in there. In, the, in, in Kentucky and those areas, that was completely wilderness. And yet in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, there was a revival going on in the church and then a great awakening and outpouring of the Spirit to the point where they were cutting down trees and stump preaching. And there were multiple preachers preaching at a time. And by the, the, the middle of that revival, there was a great awakening moving with it. There was as many as, if you can imagine, in fields, living, listening to multiple preachers in different spots, 25,000 people. They came from Louisiana. They came from New York. They came, and they, they came to hear what was happening. And there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a great awakening. Then another generation... We can just go on and on with this. What we see is that, that we get a generation that is, is really excited about the Lord and then something happens and the next generation 
kind of slows it down and slips away from it. So I, I put here in my notes, I said, the same cycle repeats through our church history. Need for revival and then great awakenings. The revival happens in the church. The great awakening happens in the communities and the, and, the, and the surrounding areas with people who are not of the church. They get saved and that's the great awakening. And it's, and it's an interesting thing. This, this cycle repeats itself both in a collective format where churches get, you know, get kind of comfortable and complacent and, and, and sometimes it's a denominational thing, sometimes it's just a general type of thing. And, and the, the church shrinks. And then there's this great movement and the church expands again. And so sometimes it's a collective thing. But what we don't think about is how does it get to the point of being a collective thing? It happens to the individual first. What happens? Well, I'm not sure how to put it really. Uh, We go to church on Sunday and back to the world on Monday. And we're in the world six days a week and at church one. You know that uh, in in the Jesus movement time in the 70s, uh, and again, that was a rebirthing of Christianity and then the churches were growing and filling up. It, uh, to be considered a regular attender of church, you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and at least one night a week in a Bible study or at church. Sunday morning, Sunday night. That was a regular attender. Do you know what they call a regular attender today? Twice a month. That's what's considered a regular attender. Are we in the middle of one of these times in the church? It's possible. I put here where the church is in the Western world. Where we are in the Western world. You know, it's pretty easy to be a Christian in the Western world. People will say, oh, there's persecution. Yeah, there's a little bit, but... Nothing like what we see in, in Saudi Arabia or, or the Middle East or uh, in China, other places. No real persecution. And in the process, faith has an opportunity to become, for lack of better words, lukewarm. I, I even put sketchy, you know, irregular. Sunday church, Monday world. Judges is a book about this. It's the same pattern. We see it in the book of Judges. Judges, uh, you know, and and what we see in the book of Judges is, 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 is it's a book about deliverance. Through God's direct intervention, God rescuing under, uh, undeserving sinners from the mess that we've made. I think of Psalm 40. I waited on the Lord and He heard my cry and He pulled me out of the pit of miry clay and He sets me on the rock. And, and the idea of, 
of that pit of miry clay, by the way, is a, a pit of my own making, of my own choosing. In other words, I'm in a pit of miry clay. Can, you've heard me describe this probably before, but it's the idea of trying to climb your out, way out of something that's so slippery that you just can't get out. And you, you, you get almost to the top and you can't get any grab on your feet then. You're, you're just slightly in over your head. And you can't get out of this pit. And it's a really, it's a pit of your own making. You, 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 you got there on and, and now you're crying to God to get me out. And, and Psalm 40 says, And He heard my cry and He pulls me out and He sets me on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. His salvation. His intervention. God's miraculous intervention. God rescuing undeserving sinners from the mess they have made. It's a book about God's, and I started to make a list here, God's long-suffering. It's a book about God's patience. It's a book about God's mercy. It's a book about God's love. The problem is, with us, we fail to put off, I initially put here, we fail to put off Egypt. (laughs) We fail to put off the world. And you think about it, all the way through the, the wilderness, People cried about, cried out, and said, "Why don't you let us go back to the world? I mean, Egypt. It was easier there. Well, it was not. Let us go back. The world's the easiest way to go on. We failed to put off Egypt, and and as a result, we failed to put on the kingdom of God." We end up like what happened to the Hebrew people as they went into the promised land. The failure to complete, to commit, and to finish what God has called them to do. God calls us as believers to put on and put off. There's several places, and I'm not going to go into it all this morning, but just keep those thoughts in mind. Put on and put off. And you can go on and, and even probably you could go online and say, put on, put off scriptures. And, and you would get a number of references. Uh, that, that things that, that were to put off, were put off uh, unkindness and put on kindness, so to speak. We are to be a changed people. And so this, this idea of, of, of revival and great awakening and everything starts here. Individually. It moves collectively as we get and encourage one another. And every now and then it moves from collective in the church and revival into a great awakening and a moving of the Spirit that is outpouring and and absolutely amazing as to what it can do. God continues to rescue undeserving sinners. We're proof of that. Every one of us. In Romans chapter 6, 
Paul writes very distinctly that gives us this picture. He says, um, chapter 6, verse 3, Do you know, uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And you think of, uh, of by the way, of that as to baptism. And I know that there's other people, other churches, other groups that practice it a different way, but we believe in what's called immersion, baptism. And, and, and the idea is, is if this is the water, this is the person, it says you are buried with Christ, now you're in the grave with Christ, and you're raised to walk with Christ in a newness of life. It's symbolic. You've actually been buried with Him and raised with Him. And, and so we, our identity is, is tied to Him. And we've made that, by the way, as a public statement in most churches to everybody else as well. We know the Scripture for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Romans 6.23 And that takes us back to, to, to verse... Uh, uh, 8 of verse of chapter 5, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did it happen? God intervened, raised up a deliverer. He came and paid the price so that we could be cleansed and come to Him. God is the initiator. Always is. And as a result, Paul writes in Romans later on in chapter 10, if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. By the way, what do you think Paul means when he says confess with your mouth? It's believed by most interpreters to mean a public statement. I believe. I'm a, I'm a believer. I believe in Christ. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Your very inner being, your soul. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You see how it's tied together. Romans 8.1 says, the result of this kind of a, re- a relationship is that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. God is with us. He is for us. I just finished with this verse on that thought. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God. What an amazing thought. We don't need to be afraid of death. I'm like everybody in this room. I have no desire to die. I'm not anxious to die. But I know that death... And by the way, those who preach death is your friend because you're a believer are absolutely off-center. Death is never our friend. Death is the result of sin. That's the reason why death is, it entered into the world through sin. It's never our friend. 
Death has been conquered. It has been defeated through Christ Jesus. And so, we don't have to be afraid of death. So, we can turn around and say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or to go with confidence with the thief on the cross. Lord, when, when everything comes together, you know, remember me. And Jesus says, this day, You'll be with me in paradise. We have that confidence. So, Jesus, you know, again, uh, He came, uh, uh, we're justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. In 1 John, Chapter 1, John writes, If we say we have, by the way, this is, I want us to use this to, to prepare our hearts for communion because the tendency is to say, okay, we're saved, you know, but I, I wrestle with sin still. Well, yeah, that's still part of living in the flesh. Paul talks about that in Romans 7 too, but, but listen to this. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, or maybe better worded, And when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is the settlement, the payment, the the one who intercedes and takes care of it. The propitiation paid in full person for our sins. And not for ours only, but for all the sins of the world. What we have is the reality of the cross and what Christ did on it. We should be people who are so pleased with what God has done for us, so thankful every day for what God has done for us, in such a way that we don't end up like the book of Judges where there's a a generation that doesn't know about Him within the reach of our teaching, but that we pass this on to our children and our children's children and, and that we're faithful with the Word of God in that sense. We are at peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a song... In fact, we're going to sing it for communion. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the the, the temple, uh, but you know what happened to the curtain at the Holy of Holies when Jesus died on the cross? What happened? It was torn in two from top to bottom. And that's a physically impossible feat 
Nobody could have done that on purpose. And, and on top of that, it was something that God did. He was saying something to us very specifically. The Holy of Holies has been opened to us. To be in the presence of God is something that has been offered to us. And so, we sing this song, Take Me Past the Outer Courts into the Holy Place. Now, the Outer Courts was the place where the Gentiles could even go. But that's as far as the Gentiles could go. And the Gentile proselytes even, become saved, so to speak, as Jewish. They were Jewish proselytes. They still, they could only go into the outer court. So it's take me past the outer court. Take me into the holy place. The holy place was where the priests would go and make the offerings. And, and light candles and, and, and do the different things that, that the priests would do. Zechariah is one that it talks about in, in Matthew doing that. And, and so that, that's the, the, the pictures, the different priests. But you didn't, there's, it says we, we want to be taken uh, into the holy place, past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Take me past the crowds of people, again, the outer courts, and the priests who sing your praise, the holy place. And I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found one place. And then the chorus. Take me into the holy of holies. Only person that was allowed to go in there was the high priest. But because we've accepted Christ as our Savior, the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. We are allowed to enter the holy of holies because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. When we take communion, we share in the cup the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take the coal, touch my lips. Here I am. Take the coal from the altar, touch my lips. Make me pure. Make my words pure. What are the words a reflection of? What's in the heart? Do you see that whole picture is tied to this song? I want you to see this song as we sing it, as we prepare our hearts for communion. How important it is. This is who we are. We're invited into the Holy of Holies. I think of, of, of some things that, that and I, I say this when I think of this song, uh, that... Uh, Tozier wrote, he said, you know, we, did, we didn't, uh, uh, Christ didn't die so we could take a glimpse from the outer courts at the Holy of Holies. He, 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 he died so that we could be in there with Him. But to do that, it's a change of mind. Think of all the things that, that are in our lives that you might not take into the Holy of Holies when you go. Something to think about. I'm not asking you to become, you know, some kind of person that says, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, don't do that, that type of thing. All I'm trying to say is, think about where we've been called to go and what we want to take in there. And the first thing we want to take in there is, a mouth that's confessed and a heart that believes. And then we want to take and realize that 
That's the, because of what Christ has done is the only reason we get to go in. Not because of anything we can do. Not how good we can get. Because we would never be good enough. But because Christ loves us. His mercy, His compassion, His grace. Let's uh, have the worship team come up and, and sing the song and uh, prepare our hearts. We have the communion packets. Uh, if, uh, if you didn't get one, uh, they, uh, uh, are out, there's some out. Uh, they look like this. And they're out on the table in there while we're singing the song. Feel free to go get one if you haven't got one yet.
Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He would given thanks, He broke it, and He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Paul goes on. He says, In the same way, He also took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Let's share. Lord, we thank You for these emblems that You've given us to serve as a remembrance of what You have done. That You came in the flesh. Literally, it says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then on, in the, just further down from that, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You had one purpose in the forethought of what all that you were going to do in revealing the Father and His love and His mercy and His grace was that you would take the cross, pour out your blood, and pay the price for our sins. That if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we could be saved. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your love, for Your, for your forgiveness We thank You for the salvation You have lavished on us. And we ask that You would go with us today and cause us to rest in that in such a way that it's a constant reminder of the awesomeness it is to know the God of all creation is our Savior. Thank You. We worship You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close?